Chapter Seven of After the Divorce by Grazia Deleda, translated by Maria Horner Lansdale. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Denham. Summer had come again. How quickly the time passes," said Aunt Martina, as she sat spinning on the portico. "'It seems only yesterday, Jacobe, that you took service with us, and yet here you are back again to renew the contract. Ah, the time does indeed pass quickly for us poor employers. You have saved thirty silver scudi at the very least, and have begun to build a house of your own. But what have we to show for it?' "'That's all very well, but how about the sweat of my brow, little spring-bird?' "'The sweat of my brow, doesn't that count for anything?' replied the herdsman, who was busily greasing a leather cord with tallow. "'But there's your keep,' rejoined the old woman. "'Ah! You've forgotten to allow for that.' "'Make the crows pick your bones,' thought Jacobi who would have liked to say it aloud, but was afraid to. He thoroughly detested both his employers, the miserly old woman, and the weak, hot-headed son, who tormented him continually with his project of marrying Giovanna if she would get a divorce. It was important, though, for him to renew the contract, so he held his tongue. He greased the thong thoroughly, rolled it up, and took it into the house. Then he asked permission to go off to attend to a piece of business of his own, and having received a grudging assent, departed. Walking in the direction of the Era cottage, the herdsman presently descried little Maltineddu bestriding with very unsteady seat, a spirited stick-horse, the sun gilding his dirty little white frock, his stout legs and bare arms. Stooping down with outstretched arms, Jacobi barred the way. "'Where are we off to?' he asked caressingly. "'There's the sun. Don't you see it?' "'Ahi! Ahi! Maria Patina will come with her firecomb and snatch you up and carry you off to the hobgoblins.' "'Run back quickly to the house!' "'No! No!' shouted the child, jumping up and down on his steed. "'Well, then,' said Jacobi, lowering his voice and closing one eye as he pointed to the White House, "'Aunt Martina is up there, and to save bread she eats little children. Don't you see her?' The boy seemed to be impressed and allowed himself to be led back to the cottage, still insisting, however, upon riding his stick. Giovanna was sewing at the door, as round and fresh and rosy as though no misfortune had ever befallen her. Above her pretty face the mass of wavy hair lay in thick, glossy coils. Seeing Jacobi approach with the child, she raised her head and smiled. "'Here he is,' said the herdsman. "'I am bringing him safely back to you, but I found him playing in the sun, 
and travelling straight towards Aunt Martina, who eats children so as to save bread. Oh, go away, said Giovanna. You ought not to tell children such things. I tell them to grown people as well, for Aunt Martina eats them too. Look out, Giovanna Era, the first thing you know she will eat you, and all the more because you are like a ripe quince. No, not that either. Quinces are yellow, aren't they? You are more like a... a an Indian fig, she suggested, laughing. And how is Aunt Bacchisia? Is it long since you heard from Constantino? At this, Giovanna became suddenly grave, replying with an air of mystery that they had had news of the prisoner only a short time before. Ah, said the man, without pressing the matter further, can you tell me? if Isidoro Pane is anywhere about. I want to see him. Yes, she replied sadly, taking up her work again. He is at home. Jacobi said good-bye, and walked thoughtfully away in the direction of Isidoro's house, if house it could be called, which stood at the other end of the village. The fisherman, in justice to whom it should be said, that he fished for trout and eels, as well as leeches, whenever he had the opportunity, was seated in the shadow of his hut, mending a net. This hut, which stood in the fields a little apart from the rest of the village, was a prehistoric structure, composed of rough pieces of slate, dating possibly from the time when men, not yet having mastered the art of cutting stones for themselves, used such pieces as had already been detached by nature. It was roofed over with sticks and bits of tile, above which flourished a vigorous growth of vegetation. The sun was sinking after a day of intense heat. Not a leaf stirred in the row of dusty trees along the scorched, deserted village street. Far off, the yellow uplands, furrowed by long, slanting shadows, were immersed in floods of crimson light, and beyond them rose the rugged line of purplish mountains, a row of huge red sphinxes covered with a veil of violet gauze. The all-pervading stillness was pierced by the distant note of a blackbird. Wild figs with coarse, dark foliage, and a hedge of wild robinia, among whose branches hairy nettles and the whitish-leaved henbane had wound and interlaced themselves, surrounded the hut, and from the doorway could be seen a wide expanse of country, lonely and vaporous as the sea. The atmosphere was filled with the acrid odour of stubble and dried asphodel, and the ground was so thickly covered with dead leaves and twigs and bits of straw that Jacobi had got quite close to the old fisherman before the latter perceived him. "'What are we about now?' cried the herdsman gaily. The other raised his eyes without lifting his head, and regarding his visitor curiously for a moment made no reply, Dropping cross-legged on the ground, Jacobi watched him as he mended the net with waxed twine threaded in a huge rusty needle. 
"'Well, really,' said the herdsman presently, with a laugh, "'I should think the little fishes would find no difficulty in coming and going at their pleasure.' "'Then let them come and go at their pleasure, little spring bird,' said the fisherman, mimicking Jacobi's favourite mode of address. "'What are you doing here? Have you left your place?' "'No, on the contrary.' I have just made a new contract with those black beetles of rich relations. But I want to speak to you about something serious, Uncle Sidore. First, though, tell me how your legs are, and is it long since you last saw San Constantino on the river bank? The old man frowned. He disliked to hear sacred things alluded to with irreverence. "'If that is what you came for,' said he, "'you can take yourself off at once.' "'Oh, well, there's no need to get angry. "'Here, I'll tell you what I came for. "'It really is important. "'But as for irreverence, "'if you find me turning into a heathen, "'you must blame the little master. "'He is always pitching into the saints. "'He gets terribly frightened, though, "'whenever he thinks he is going to die. "'Just listen to this.' The other night we saw a shooting star. It fell plumb down from the sky like a streak of melted gold, and looked as though it had struck the earth. Brontu threw himself down full length on the ground, yelling, "'If this is the last day, have mercy on us, good Lord!' And there he stayed until I swear I wanted to kick him. "'And you were not frightened?' "'I?' "'No, indeed, little spring-bird. I saw the star disappear right away. "'But the very first moment that you saw it, tell the truth now, you were scared then, weren't you?' "'Oh, well, go to the devil.' "'Perhaps I was. "'But see here, what I came for was to talk to you about him, the master. "'If he is not crazy, then no one is in the whole world. "'He wants you.' to go to Giovanna Era, and to suggest to her to get a divorce and marry him. Isidoro dropped his work. A mist rose before his calm, honest eyes. He clasped his hands, resting his chin on them, and began shaking his head. "'And how about you?' he asked in a stern voice. "'Are you not just as crazy to dare to come to me with such a proposition?' "'Oh, yes, I understand. You are afraid of losing your place. What a poor creature you are!' "'Ho-ho!' cried the other banteringly. "'So that's your idea, is it, you and your leeches?' "'Oh, you mean to be funny, do you? Well, it is time this was put a stop to.' "'Tell your master that he has got to bring this business to an end. "'The whole neighbourhood has heard about it, and people are talking.' "'My dear friend, we have only just begun, "'and here you are, talking of ending it. "'I have had enough of it, I assure you, for morn, noon, and night. "'That brandy-bottle does nothing but talk to me about it.' I had to promise him at last that I would see you, so here I am. But I can tell you not to talk on his side. 
"'There is only one person, Uncle Isidoro, who can really put a stop to this scandalous business, and that is Giovanna herself. "'You must go to her and tell her to make that beast shut up. I can do nothing more.' Isidoro gazed at him with wide, unseeing eyes. He appeared not to be listening. Presently, he resumed his work, murmuring, "'Poor Constantino, poor lamb, what have they done to you?' "'Yes, indeed, he is innocent,' said Jacobi, "'and any day at all he may come back. This craze of Brontus has got to be stopped. Then there is Aunt Bacchisia as well, hovering over her like a vulture over its prey.' "'Poor Constantino, poor lamb, what have they done to you?' repeated Isidoro, paying not the smallest heed to anything that Jacobi said. The latter became annoyed. Raising his voice until it echoed through the surrounding silence and solitude, he shouted, "'What have they done to him? What are they going to do to him? Why don't you listen to what I am telling you, you old rag-heap?' "'You must go and talk to her right away. "'There she is, cheerful and rosy, "'and ready to fall at the first touch like a ripe apple. "'At heart, though, she is not bad, "'and if you will predispose her against it, "'make her see what she ought to do. "'The whole thing may be prevented. "'Get up, get along, move, do something. "'Here is your chance to perform miracles "'if you really are a saint, "'as the sinners seem to think.' "'Ah! Ah! Ah!' sighed the old man, rising to his feet. His tall figure, majestic even in its rags, stood out in the crimson light against the background of dark hedge and distant misty horizon, like that of some venerable hermit. "'I will go,' he said, sighing heavily, and at the words Jacobi felt as though a great weight had been rolled from his breast. From then on the two men worked steadily together in the interest of the faraway prisoner, finding themselves opposed, however, by three active and united forces, as well as by the passive resistance of Giovanna. The three forces against which they had to contend were the brute passion of Brontu, the grasping greed of Aunt Bacchisia, and Aunt Martina's self-interest, she being now wholly in favour of Brontu's scheme. Giovanna, she argued, was, though poor, both healthy and frugal, and she knew how to work like a beast of burden. A woman in good standing coming into the house as a bride might entail all manner of extravagance and outlay, and the wedding alone would be sure to mean a heavy expense. Whereas, in the case of Giovanna, the marriage would be conducted almost in secret, and she would steal into the house like a slave, shrewd Aunt Martina. Thus the months rolled over the little slate-stone village, the desolate mountains, the yellow stretch of uplands. Autumn came, soft, melancholy days, when the sea lay beneath a veil of mist on the horizon and dark clouds like huge crabs travelled slowly across the pale sky, trailing long lines of vapour behind them. 
Sometimes, though, it would turn cold, and the atmosphere would be like a spring of limpid water, fresh, clear, and sparkling. On such an evening as this, when a long violet-coloured cloud hung in the eastern heavens like an island in a crystal sea, and the scent of burning thyme came from the fields which the peasants were making ready for sowing. Brontu would swallow great gulps of brandy to take off the evening chill, and then, throwing himself down in the back of the hut, would lie dreaming as warm and happy as a cat, his eyes fixed on the violet-coloured cloud on the distant horizon. All about the cabin, in every direction, as far as the eye could reach, stretched the broad tankas of the Dejasses, billowy undulations losing themselves in the fading daylight. Here and there, amid golden-brown stubble, were dark squares of newly turned earth swollen by the rain, and patches of fresh grass and purple autumnal flowers sending out a damp perfume. Clouds of wild birds, and large crows as black and shining as polished metal, poured out of the clumps of Asensio, which, half-hidden among the wild roses and the clustering arbute, with its shining leaves and yellow berries, looked like tumuli of ashes. In one of the tankas, two peasants, farmhands of the Dejasses, were burning brush preparatory to ploughing for the wheat and barley crops. The flames crackled as the wind blew them hither and thither, pale yet in the evening light, and transparent as yellow glass, the smoke hanging over them in low light clouds like fragrant incense, then melting away. Along the tops of the hedges, enclosing the sheepfolds, each bare thorny twig seemed to stand out separately in the crystal atmosphere, like a tracery of amethyst-coloured lace. The animals had all been herded for the night, except a few horses which could be seen here and there, with noses to the ground, cropping the short grass. From without the hut came the sound of Jacobi's voice, then the faint tinkle of a cow-bell, the prolonged far-away howl of a dog, the harsh screaming of a crow. Within, extended like a Bedouin on a pile of skins and warm coverings, Brontu dreamed his one unvarying dream, while the fiery liquor coursing through his veins filled him with a delicious sense of warmth and comfort. Ah, how the young proprietor did love brandy! Not so much for its penetrating odour and sharp biting taste, as for that glowing sensation of happiness that stole over his heart after drinking it. But woe betide any one who meddled with him at such times! Instantly his mood would change, and the sweetness turn to gall. It seemed to him that dogs must feel just as he did then— when some one tramples on their tails as they lie asleep, he would arouse in a state of fury and lose the thread of his dream. Yes, he loved brandy. Wine was good too, but not so good as brandy. His father before him had liked ardent spirits, so much so, in fact, that one day, after drinking heavily, he fell into the fire and was so badly burned that, heaven preserve us, he died of the effects. 
But there, enough of such melancholy thoughts. Nowadays people are more careful. They don't allow themselves to tumble into the fire. Moreover, to balance the passion for brandy, Brontu had his other passion, for Giovanna. Ah, brandy and Giovanna! The two most beautiful, ardent, intoxicating things in the whole world. But where Giovanna was concerned, Brontu was as timid and fearful as he was reckless in the matter of brandy. He trembled merely at the thought of approaching her, of speaking to her. On those days when he knew that she was working for his mother, he fairly yearned to go home, to gaze at her, to see her working there in his own house, and yet he dared not stir from the tanker. Now, though, as time went on, he was growing weary of waiting. A devouring anxiety, moreover, had seized upon him. What if, by hesitating so long, he were to meet with another refusal? Tormented by this thought, he longed to tell her of his solicitude for her, how, in order to console her for all that had occurred, he would gladly have married her at once, immediately after Constantino's sentence. His ideas differed from those of most people, but he was made that way and could not change. At bottom, like most drunkards, he had not a bad heart, nor was he immoral. His one passion, apart from drink, had always been for Giovanna, ever since when, as a boy, he had come with his family to live in the house on the hill. She was only fifteen then, and very fresh and beautiful. Every time he looked at her, even in those days, he had flushed even to his hands, and though she had noticed it, she had not seemed to mind. He never said anything, though, and so at last, when one day he screwed up his courage to the point of persuading his mother to go to Aunt Pacicia with an offer of marriage, it was too late. The position had been filled. Giovanna, at that time, had been as spirited and passionate as a young colt, and as utterly indifferent to worldly considerations. She might have married Brontu Dejas at first for his beautiful teeth, but having once fallen in love with Constantino, she would not have thrown him over for the viceroy himself, had Sardinia still possessed one. The twilight deepened. The sky grew more and more crystalline like a vast mirror. The little violet cloud grew leaden and opaque, then long and scaly like some monster fish. The sounds from without, rising clearer than ever in the intense stillness of the hour and place, it seemed to Brontu that he must be dreaming, when the voice of Aunt Bacchicia suddenly broke in upon his reverie. "'Santo Giovanni Battista mio!' exclaimed the harsh, melancholy voice. "'If I am not mistaken, that is Jacobi de Jas.' "'At your service,' replied the herdsman, in a tone of amazement. "'What what wind blows you to these parts, little spring-bird?' "'Ah, I am here at last. Where is Brontu de Jas?' Brontu rushed out of the hut, his knees shaking and his brain in such a whirl that he could hardly discern Aunt Bacchicia's black-robed figure as she stood holding her shoes in one hand and balancing a bundle on her head. 
"'Aunt Bacchisia!' he cried in great agitation. "'Here I am! Good evening! Come here! Come right in here!' The woman flew towards him, closely followed by the herdsman. "'Ah, Brontu, my dear boy, if I am not dead to-night it must mean that I shall never be. Three hours I have been walking. I lost my way. I must see you about something. But be patient for a moment.' "'Patient!' with his whole being in such a state of turmoil that he could hardly keep back the tears. Taking her by the hand, he led her inside the hut, while Jacobe, seeing that he was to have no part in the interview, went around to the back, and listened with all his ears, raging meanwhile inwardly like a wild bull. Not a word, however, reached him. The conference was extremely short, and Bacchisia refusing even to sit down. She said, she said that she had lost her way looking for Brontu's sheepfolds, and that Giovanna would be getting very anxious, as she thought she had merely gone into the fields to look for greens. Yes, it was quite true they had to depend largely upon greens for their food, so bitter was their poverty. And what had brought her now was nothing less than to ask Brontu for some money. Oh, alone! Yes, thank heaven, only alone! If they should not be able to repay it, then she and Giovanna would work it off. For months they had not paid any rent. Rent for their own house! Now the lawyer was threatening to evict them. And where would we go, Brontu de Jas? concluded Aunt Pacicia, clasping her gnarled and yellow hands, Tell me, where would we go, Bronto, my soul? His breast heaved. He wanted to seize the old woman in his arms and shout, Why, to my house! That is where you would go! But he did not dare. As there was no money at the hut, Bronto decided to go home for it at once. He wished anyhow to return with Anpacicia. Going outside, he called to Jacobi to saddle the horse immediately. "'What has happened?' asked the man. "'Is your mother dead? God rest her soul.' "'No,' replied Brontu cheerfully. "'Nothing has happened that in any way concerns you.' Jacobi began saddling the horse, but he was consumed with curiosity to know why Aunt Bacchisia had come, and why Brontu was going back with her. She has come to borrow some money, he reflected, and he has none. He is going home to get it for her. Listen, Brontu, he called, and when the other had come quite close, he said, If she wants money, and you haven't got any here, I can let you have some. Yes, she does. She wants to borrow some money, said Brontu in a low tone, quivering with delight and excitement, but I am going back with her to get it whether you have it here or not, that makes no difference. I am going to see Giovanna this very evening at her own house. I am going to talk to her and do for myself what not one of all you donkeys has had sense enough to do for me. Man, cried Jacobi angrily, you must be going mad. All right, let me go mad. See here, draw the girth tighter. "'Ah, swelling out your sides, are you?' 
he added, addressing the horse, "'you don't fancy night excursions. "'What will you say when the old woman is mounted on the crupper?' "'She too?' exclaimed Jacobi. "'She too, yes. "'What business is it of yours? "'Isn't she my mother-in-law?' "'You go too fast upon my word. "'Look out, or you will have a fall and break your neck, little spring-bird. "'Ah, oh, you are really in earnest?' "'You really mean to marry that beggar, that married woman, "'when you might have a flower for your wife? "'Well, I can tell you one thing, Constantino Leda is innocent. "'Some day he will come back. "'Remember that. "'Some day he will come back. "'Let me alone, Jacoby de Jass, and attend to your own affairs. "'There, put a bag on the crupper, and Pakisia he called to the old woman. Jacobi ran quickly into the hut, and fell over Aunt Bacchisia, who was just coming out. "'You ought to be ashamed of yourself,' he said, trembling. "'You are worse than any beggar. Oh, I'm going to talk to Giovanna. I am going to talk to her myself.' "'You are a fool,' said the woman. Then, lowering her voice, she called him by an outrageous name, and passed out. A few minutes later the two set forth. Jacobe watched them as they slowly moved away in the fading light across the solitary tanka, further and further, along the winding path, beyond the thickets, beyond the clumps of bushes, beyond the smoke of the brushwood fires, until at last they were lost to sight. Then an access of blind fury seized him, clutching the cap from his head. He flung it from him as far as he could, then picked it up again and fell to beating the dog. The poor beast set up a prolonged howl that filled the silent waste, and was echoed back again with a sound like the despairing cry of some wandering phantom. Night fell. Jacobi, throwing himself down on the pelasse which Brontu had quitted shortly before, smelled an odour of brandy. He got up, found his master's flask, and drank. Then he lay down again, and presently he too felt something bubble up in his breast, bathe his heart, scorch his eyelids, mount gurgling to his brain. His anger melted suddenly away and was replaced by a feeling of melancholy. Through the open door he could see the bright red glow of the brush fires gradually overpowering the fading twilight. As the two merged they formed a single hue of violet, indescribably melancholy in tone. Now and again the dog gave another long howl. Oh, what misery! What misery! Why had he, Jacobi, beaten that poor dog? What had it done to him? Nothing. He was filled with remorse, the foolish emotional remorse of the drunkard, yet so irritating were the sounds that he had a strong impulse to rush out and beat the unfortunate beast again. All at once his mind recurred to Brontu and Aunt Bacchisia, whom he had forgotten for the moment, and he began to tremble violently. What had happened? 
had Giovanna given in? Ah, what made that dog bark like that? It was like the shriek of a dead person, the voice of Basile Leda, who was murdered. Pooh, pooh, the dead cannot cry out. That is nothing but the howling of a dog. He laughed softly, drowsily to himself. His heavy eyelids closed, shutting out the opaque, violet-coloured mist that hung like a curtain before the open door. He felt as though a sack filled with some soft but heavy substance were pressing down upon him so that he could not move, yet the sensation was agreeable. A thousand confused images chased one another through his brain. Among other things, he dreamed that he was dead, and that his soul had entered into the body of a dog, a gaunt little yellow cur, who was running around and around Aunt Bacchisia's kitchen searching for bones. Constantino was sitting by the fire. He was dressed in red, and there was a great chain lying at his feet. All at once he saw the dog and flung the chain at it. The creature's head was caught fast, encircled in one of the iron rings, and Jacobe, stricken with terror, forced himself to cry out in order to make them understand it was he. He awoke, perspiring and shouting, "'Little spring bird!' Night had fallen. The deserted tanker, stretching away beneath a clear sky sparkling with big yellow stars, glowed with the red light of the brush-fires. Jacobi could not get to sleep again. He turned and twisted from one side to the other, but the intoxicating effects of the brandy had passed, leaving his mouth dry and feverish. He got up and drank, then he remembered that he had taken nothing to eat that evening. For a long time he stood leaning against the door of the hut, his face lighted up by the glow of the fires. "'Shall I get something to eat or not?' he asked himself, hardly conscious that he did so. Then he looked up at the stars. Almost midnight. What had that little beast his master accomplished, he wondered, and his anger rose again, but chiefly against Aunt Bacchisia. What impudence to come all the way to this distant spot just to further the little proprietor's outrageous plans, for he knew perfectly well that the loan was merely an excuse of that old harpy to draw Brontu on, to bring him to a decision, to make him commit himself. Ah, what a low creature that woman was! Had she no conscience at all? Did she not believe in God? At this point Jacobi grew thoughtful and presently he threw himself down again, still debating whether or no he were hungry, and whether it were worth while to get something to eat. No, he decided, he was not hungry, nor thirsty, nor sleepy, nor could he rest, lying down, or sitting up, or standing. He yawned noisily and began talking aloud, mumbling foolish, disconnected things in a vain effort to distract his thoughts, which, however, continued to dwell persistently upon that thing. It was horrible, horrible! Marry a woman who had another husband already, and suppose Constantino should come back. Who knows? Everything is possible in this world, and even if he were never to return, there was the boy. How about him? 
What would he think when he grew up and found that his mother had two husbands? What a law that was! Ha! The men who make the laws are pretty queer! And Jacobé laughed mirthlessly, for down in the bottom of his heart his inclination was to do anything else but laugh. Getting up, he seized the brandy-flask, saying to himself that if Brontu should display any curiosity as to who had drunk his brandy, why so much the worse for him. "'I'll tell him it was the spirits! Ha-ha!' <laughs> he laughed again, took a deep draught, and throwing himself down quickly fell into a heavy sleep, and dreamed that he was telling a sister of his all about his other dream of Constantino and the yellow dog and the chain. When he awoke, the sun was already above the horizon, pushing through a bank of bluish cloud. The morning was cold, with light drifting clouds, and the thickets, bushes, stubble, every spear of grass sparkled with dew in the slanting rays of the sun. Once more the birds bustled in and out among the bushes, burst into song, rushed together in little groups, or poised gracefully in the misty air. Now and then the chorus of chirps and twitters would swell into something so acute and piercing that it was almost like the patter of metal raindrops. Sometimes a shrill whistle or the strident note of a crow would break into this silvery harmony. Then all would die away, swallowed up in the vast silence of the uplands. Jacobe came out of the hut yawning and stretching. He yawned so violently that his jaws cracked, and his smooth-shaven face folded into innumerable tiny wrinkles about the round, open mouth, and his little oblique eyes, yellow in the sunlight, watered like those of a dog. "'Well,' he thought, pressing both hands to his stomach, "'I have cramps here. What did I do last evening?' He threw open the folds. A ram with curved horns came out, snuffing the ground, closely followed by a yellowish bunch of sheep, all trying to tread in his tracks, and all likewise snuffing the ground. Others came, and still others. The folds were empty. Still Jacobi stood close to the enclosure, motionless, buried in thought. "'Yes. Last evening I had nothing to eat.' I drank the little master's brandy, and then I had dreams. Yes, yes, that was it. Constantino and the dog and my sister Anna Rosa. Well, damn him! Why didn't he come back, the little toad? I got drunk just like a beast. Yes, he moralized, walking towards the hut. A drunken man is like a beast. He does not know what he's doing and brays out everything in his mind. A dangerous thing, that, Jacobi de Jass, you bald pate. Get that well into your head. It's dangerous. No, no, I'll never get drunk again. May the Lord punish me if I do. A little later, the young master returned. Jacobi, intent and smiling, watched him closely. Ah, said he, stepping forward solicitously. "'You look like a man who has had a whipping. What has happened?' "'Nothing. Get away. 
but nothing was further from the other's intention. He began to circle around his master, fawning upon him and making little bounds towards him like a dog, teasing persistently to be told what had occurred. At last Brontu, who really longed to unburden himself, yielded. Well then, yes, Giovanna had, in fact, driven him away like an importunate beggar. She had asked him if he had forgotten that she had a son who would one day spit at her and demand to know how it was that she had two husbands. "'My soul, I knew it!' cried Jacobi, leaping in the air for joy. "'What did you know?' "'Why, that she had a son!' "'Well, I knew that myself. She chased me out of the house. That's the whole of it. I could hear the two, the mother and daughter, from the road, quarrelling furiously together. And then Brontu went to look for his brandy-flask. Jacobi was so overjoyed that he could have laughed aloud for glee. "'Look here!' he called. "'The spirits came last night and drank your brandy. Ha, ha, ha! But there must be some left. I am sure there's still some left.' Brontu drank eagerly without making any reply. Then he flung the flask angrily at the herdsman, who caught it in the air. And Brontu, having drunk for sorrow— Jacobi proceeded to drink for joy. End of chapter 7 Recording by Tom Denham